0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems.
1: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host,
0: Brandon Adam. Have you ever heard of the idea of a stretch goal? Like sometimes in life, you make goals for yourself. I'm the kind of person that's probably a little bit goal-oriented, although sometimes I probably fizzle out on my attempt to achieve goals a little more than I wanted to. But generally speaking, I'd like to think of myself as a goal-oriented person. Do I actually achieve that designation? I don't know. I guess the people around me would have to say that. But I like to think of myself as a goal-oriented person. And one of the ways in which sometimes making achieving your goals a little easier is to actually make the goal a little more substantial. In other words, if you think you can lose 10 pounds, then how about making a stretch goal of losing 20 pounds? That way, if you only lose 15 pounds, you still lost more weight than you initially thought you could. That's kind of the way in which a stretch goal works. And so with that in mind, I I was thinking a little bit about the Georgia running game, and I have what I believe is a little bit of a stretch goal for the uh, Georgia rushing attack here this year. Now, let me set this up this way we've talked about this a lot over the course of this offseason here thus far the notion that we think georgia offensively can take another step forward in year three for todd munkin if you go back and look and you've heard me say this now over and over again in Monken's first year of 2020 compared to the last year that he was in year 2019, Georgia got way better offensively. And the fact that it got way better offensively playing what was an SEC-only schedule, plus the top 10 ranks since in the bowl game, the fact that Georgia's offensive stats were so much better in 2020 compared to 2019 really speaks to... Todd Munkin's ability as an offensive coordinator to bring great change to UGA and then in 2021 obviously the national championship year that was Munkin's second season they got even better again that clearly Georgia offensively is functioning at a level in two years under Munkin that for the most part it has not been able to do in the previous years since Kirby Smart has been head coach which kind of leads you to the hope, if you're a Georgia fan, that you can have even more improvement now going into year three. And the number you've heard me kind of throw around here a lot is I'd love to see Georgia crack that 40 point threshold. And I'd love to see Georgia actually average 42 points per game here for this upcoming season. I believe that puts you pretty close to the top in the country in terms of a points per game average, at least based on how things worked out last year, that would kind of be true. And I think that's likely to be somewhat true again here this year. Plus, it would just sort of speak to capitalizing on on Munkin's ability here to show that year over year improvement for improvement for a third consecutive year, that if Georgia could actually break through that forty point barrier, Georgia averaged somewhere in the neighborhood of 38, 39 points per game last year, if they could break through that 40 point barrier, get to about 42, it would just speak to another big step forward for Todd Munkin. We've talked on the show about how you'd get that done. And one of the things you've heard me say here is is that to me, the Georgia running back position plays a big role in a lot of this. We talked with John Stinchcombe about this yesterday. If you had a chance to hear yesterday's show, you heard us talking about that, that I'd love to see a big step forward for the Georgia offensive line, taking a group that I thought was good last year. If they can find a way to be great this year, it opens up an opportunity for the Georgia rushing attack to, to help really put defenses in conflict. Georgia throws the ball better now than it used to. It also throws the ball more than it used to. So if you've got that going for you, the Brock Bowers and everything else that's attached to that, and you could add a little more rushing attack to this, kind of mirroring what some of what Georgia did in 2017, 2018, all of a sudden you have an opposing offense if you're a defense that you really don't know are they going to run it are they going to pass it and you're really not set up very well to stop either side of that coin that would be to me a great picture of what the georgia offense could look like here for this upcoming season does that make sense so far hopefully it does so with that in mind i start to think about well what would i want the georgia rushing attack to be or what would it take for the georgia rushing attack to provide the kind of scenario that i gave you there um, a moment ago and obviously, my opinion on this probably makes, uh, you know, has, has some value, hopefully. But I think that Kirby Smart's opinion on what he wants from his running backs probably makes uh, even more sense to hear from here. His his opinion on all of this, if you want to go back to the to the springtime here, Smart, in talking about his running backs, gave what I thought was a very interesting description of exactly what what, what he looks for from his running backs, what he's pushing his running backs to be. So, on a day in which we're talking about, you know, ambitious stretch goals for the Georgia rushing attack, let's hear. Kirby's more on that same position going back to the spring this was kirby
1: in college football you become a weapon by how you receive the ball out of the backfield they want to grow at that they want to be able to um showcase their talents catching the ball out of the backfield so the nfl ask about it. can he catch the ball out of the backfield can he be a third down back well we like to grow nfl backs here so to do that you got to use them in the passing game
0: Okay, so I'm all in favor of that, right? And we know guys like Kenny McIntosh already very effective in the passing game and Munkin's ability to kind of scheme open other guys gives them a chance to do that there as well. And that obviously speaks to your ability to be explosive. If you're a weapon in the passing game, you're explosive. But beyond that, I think that's not the only way in which the Georgia running backs can be explosive here this year. And they can also be explosive when they run it there as well. And the ambitious stretch goal I had for Georgia in that regard was I'd love to see this team average six yards per carry on the ground here this season. Now, if you want to go back and look at a year ago, what was Georgia? They were like 5.2 something. Georgia this past year was at uh, 5.26 yards per carry. My ambitious stretch goal for Georgia this upcoming season was six yards per carry. Now, this is one of those things that I just kind of pulled out of thin air, right? I just sort of made this up like uh, six yards per carry. And when I actually went and did a little bit of research on this, what I actually found was a little bit surprising. There actually wasn't a team in the country last year that averaged six yards per carry. That the uh, the leading team in the country last year on a per carry basis was the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina, 584 uh, you had Utah at 5.58, Ohio State at 5.54, Florida actually was a little higher than you might would have thought, in uh, Dan Mullen's swan song. Uh, but 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 overall, there wasn't a team last year that averaged six yards per carry. So if we're going to say six yards per carry as an ambitious goal for UGA on the ground, that truly is a stretch goal because last year nobody in the country did it. But here's what's also somewhat surprising there as well, that if you go want to go back and look at some recent years, a couple of teams that have done this are teams that maybe you might not quite expect. Now, I'm not going to mention the 2020 season because really nobody played defense in 2020. That's a little bit of a toss out for me in the overall picture. But if you want to go back and look at, like, say, 2018, 2019, kind of pre-pandemic years, some of the teams that did average like either right at six yards per carry or six yards per carry were teams like Clemson and Oklahoma. Now, to me, this is a little bit of a surprise because this is the area Clemson then included Trevor Lawrence. You think about this as a team that was kind of throwing the ball all over the yard, but they were also running it incredibly effectively there as well. It was the counterpunch to go along with the you know, future first-round pick at quarterback. Really, the same thing is definitely true for Oklahoma. That was a team under Lincoln Riley that was throwing the ball all the time, and yet through that Potent passing attack. They were also creating those big lanes for their running backs to run through there as well. So the kind of research that I did on this was somewhat interesting. A, I was surprised to find out that nobody did the six yards per carry thing last year. But over the course of the last few years, some of the teams that did it were not the teams that were kind of built to play power football, built to, you know, be bigger, more dominant in their opponents. They were actually teams that had really effective passing attacks and that they leaned on that sort of pass-first mindset if you want to say it that way to then create big opportunities for the Georgia running back or for the running backs which to me sets up a very similar situation for Georgia because as we said a moment ago that 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 Georgia is throwing the ball more often and better than it ever has before I know the quarterback spot will kind of always be controversial but the truth is numbers speak for themselves you want to compare Georgia's current output to its previous output things have definitely gotten better for Georgia when it comes to the passing attack and I think the next step for the Todd Monk offense would be Um, creating more opportunities for running backs, because all of a sudden now you're a defense that doesn't quite know what's coming. So if you want to get to that six yard per carry number, here is where I think you got to go to get there. I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. (laughs) And this may be overly simplified, but follow me on this. you got to do a little bit better on your long runs and a little bit better on your short runs. I'm going to kind of split these up here a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit more frequently producing explosive runs and a little bit better in those short yardage situations there as well. Now let me start with the, the explosive run stuff here. Going into last season, Kirby Smart was asked directly about the fact that Georgia just seemingly had less of those than it used to have, and this was based on what happened in 2020, which was the most recent season when this question got asked. Kirby was kind of asked at the time about why. The program doesn't seem to quite produce explosive runs as much as it used to. Going into the start of last season, this was a relevant question. I think it still remains relevant after the uh, most recent season for reasons I'll get into in a moment. But let me once again give you some context from Kirby what he said a year ago about what was an absence of explosive runs in comparison to the way that things used to be. This was Kirby last summer.
1: I don't think our backs are any less talented last year or this year in terms of being able to have explosive runs uh we haven't had as many and you have to say okay well why is that and a lot of it has to do with the way people are playing us Uh, how can we make them pay for playing us with extra people and then how can we block their extra people at the second level we've had probably just as many seven eight nine yard yard runs but we haven't had the explosive we've had in the past most people would point to sheer speed of the backs but that that's that's not the case with our our guys or you know, just as fast now as they were when we had uh, the other guys, we haven't been as explosive. And a lot of that is breaking tackles on the second level and being able to block downfield, you know, get the second hit.
0: So that's what Smart said about that going into last season. And in 2021, it was kind of a similar situation in the fact that Georgia just wasn't quite as explosive when running the ball as it used to be. I'm going to give you a little context here. When you look at runs of 10 or more yards last season, Georgia was 18th in the country with 88 total runs of 10 or more yards. Compare that to 2018. That was the year in which DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield were the top tandem of Georgia running backs. Georgia had 109 10-plus yard carries in that season. That was a tie for eighth in the country there that year. So more than 20 10-plus yard carries in 2018 compared to what Georgia did in a national championship year of 2021. Also, on runs of 20 or more yards, which are truly your true explosive runs, Georgia had 24 of those last season. That was good for 22nd best in the country. But in the 2018 season, when Georgia led the SEC in rushing, Georgia had 37 carries of 20 or more yards. So that sort of speaks to if you want to get to six yards per carry, for the upcoming season, you do have to find a way, as Smart said there a moment ago, to break more tackles at that second level. Guys like Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, who get their chance to shine. Dejon Edwards, who I think is going to be a big part of this story. Uh, obviously, freshman running backs, potentially like Branson Robinson. When you get a second-level opportunity, you have got to make a man miss. You've got to turn what would be a seven-yard gain into a 14-yard gain. And all of a sudden, that gives you a better chance to get to a, what is admittedly a little bit of a stretch goal of, of averaging six yards per carry for the season. Georgia used to do that at a very high clip, say 2018, but did not do that at nearly as high a clip there in uh, 2021. The other thing is you've got to find a way to turn small gains into more consistent opportunities for you there as well. Now, the picture I want to have in your mind, I want you to have in your mind of this is think about a bad day for georgia offensively last season there weren't very many of them but obviously the worst day certainly in the regular season was the game against clemson georgia did not score an offensive touchdown there that day but when the game was over smart was still pretty happy seemingly obviously because georgia beating a good team in clemson beating a great defense in the tigers but the way in which georgia had got that done lay leaning on zamir white a lot leaning on james cook a little running when it had to Keeping the chains moving, keeping the clock running, salting away what turned out to be a 10 3 win there for UGA. In that post game press conference, Smart on the heels of what otherwise was not a very good defense, offensive day for UGA said Georgia got the hard yards when it needed to. This was Smart after the Clemson game last season.
1: You know, when our offense had to convert, when our offense had to force the ball down somebody's throat, a pretty good defense, you know, they were able to do it. And uh, that makes me proud, but we certainly have a long way to go. Um, to be explosive and and get where we need to go offensively.
0: So basically saying, hey, you know, we're not explosive today. We didn't do that today, but we had to get those hard yards. We were able to do that. However, that's actually the one stat last season. If you look at all of the things related to offensive line and running back play, that's like the one stat from last season that Georgia actually did not compare favorably compared to most of the best teams in the country. There's a website called Football Outsiders that keeps up with what they call power rate. This is the percentage of running plays when there's like two yards to gain. Think about like, say, third and fourth and two or fourth and goal from the two yard line with a touchdown as your goal. Those short yarded situations, either achieving a first down or a touchdown. Georgia's actually 52nd best in the country last year with a power rate success rate of 72.4% last season, meaning that when Georgia had two yards to gain for a first down or a touchdown, it successfully achieved that 72.4% of the time there last season, about a quarter of the time almost, a little more than a quarter of the time, it failed to get that done. So if you want to get to that six-yard mark here for this year on those short-yard situations, you're just going to be successful more frequently, which kind of puts more pressure there on the offensive line there as well. So I know I'm throwing a lot out there at you on this, but to me, this is the kind of the bottom line on all of this, is that while six yards per carry is certainly a stretch goal, a very ambitious goal for the Georgia rushing attack here this season, I don't think it's unfair to say that Georgia could get closer to that number than it was a year ago. The way to get there, the recipe quite quite simple. You've got to have a lot more 10 plus yard carries and a lot more 20 plus yard carries kind of the way that Georgia would have done circa 2017, 2018. And in those short yardage situations, when the defense kind of knows what's coming, you got to find a way to be slightly more successful in those opportunities there, not getting stuffed, giving yourself positive yardage. And the good news is, if you really are that good offensively, In some situations, it gives the defense a whole lot more to think about there, too. So, year three of Todd Munkin is coming up. We believe it can be another step forward for UGA, really looking differently offensively than it did before he got here, but also using some of what Georgia used to do really well as part of that recipe for success. Georgia taking another big step offensively. We think that's kind of the path to how it would get that done. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good morning to you, and great to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today live on video, starting at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, By the way, it feels good to be saying live again, uh, back in the saddle doing all of that, and so happy to have all of you with us as we do. Of course, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, those are our other video platforms. Happy to have you on those there as well, and on the radio athens sports radio nine six three the ref every day at noon uh podcast we had a little bit of an issue yesterday our podcast platform our hosting service was down for a while so we were delayed in posting the show yesterday so for those of you who are podcast listeners we apologize for that that truly was out of our hands there yesterday but that was cleared up by the afternoon and hopefully that won't be an issue going forward should not be anyway so a little late delivery on that but happy to be able to uh, share that with each and every day via the podcast platform. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making all of this possible. You know, Engineered Solutions of Georgia, we are so happy for the work that they're doing when it comes to those foundation and waterproofing issues that uh, you might be dealing with. Because let's face it, right now we could use some rain, but when it does rain again, you're going to be looking around and some of you are going to see, ooh, water intrusion in your basement, your cross base, your garage. That's the sign of something that could be a more serious problem. You already know that. You don't need me to tell you that. But what you maybe do need a reminder of is when you see that evidence, it's time to reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. That may be even more true if you see those cracks in your wall. You know they're not supposed to be there. You're left to wonder, well, gosh, what does that mean? And you're left to assume maybe it doesn't mean something good. Well, instead of using your imagination to try to decide how bad it is, maybe get an expert analysis from our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia because they've got an entire team of engineers working for you. There's nobody else in the market that can say that for you in terms of the 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 resources they have to help you solve your problem. After all, they are a solutions-based company. They have the word solution right there in their name. That means if you need like a downspout or something like that, they'll tell you to go to the hardware store and get it, right? And they're not going to, you know, um, obviously, you know, steer you the wrong way on something like that. For simple fixes, they're going to give you simple advice. But for a more substantial project, sometimes that's what that is. You want the unparalleled expertise and and the resources that Engineered Solutions of Georgia has available to you. So do me a favor give them a call number very easy to remember simply dial 678-ESOG now that's 678-ESOG now they're proud partners of UGA they're longtime friends of ours here on dog nation daily we love the way y'all step up to support those who've supported us engineered solutions of Georgia certainly an example of that and ESOG a proud partner of UGA there as well all right we're gonna get Connor Riley coming up here in a moment uh gonna go uh Kroger fresh take with him a lot to do some of that recruiting related we'll give Connor a chance to have some thoughts on the georgia rushing attack there a bit too so we'll do a lot of that with connor here in a little bit i've actually got a fun thing i'm gonna do with connor there too a lot of georgia fans obviously us as well really enjoying the tennessee face plant in baseball losing the super regional to notre dame missing out on a chance to go to the college world series all that swagger going to waste uh and it has kind of got me thinking about other moments in which georgia fans have had reason to celebrate one of their rivals losses and we're going to give Connor a chance to kind of weigh in on that topic here in a little bit too, because I think it actually ends up being a pretty fun list when it's all said and done. so we'll we'll let Connor do some of that here coming up in just a bit before that though, I want to go around the doghouse here for a moment, and Georgia actually got some good news yesterday in the terms of a uh, recruiting flip, Joshua Miller, an offensive lineman committed to uh penn state makes the flip yesterday and shows up in the uga class we'll show this to you on the screen here of uh miller good looking photo of him he's all smiles there there at uga had a nice message there too kind of going by the nickname doogie which is obviously kind of a cool thing there too Uh, he says the lord's path on twitter hashtag go dogs and you know to me i think there's a lot to like about miller not the least of which is hey on the heels of a workout at least that's what the uh, what the uh, you know folks online are going to tell you including a really good story from jeff centell at dognation.com on the heels of uh, of a workout stacy searles kirby smart they said they like him a lot they move fast on him the interest from Georgia was all he needed to hear he moved fast there on uga and You know, given how specific some of Georgia's recent scouting success has been in terms of really identifying players that could fit for what Georgia wanted to do, I've got no reason to believe that Miller will be anything other than a very good player there for UGA. And. I think the thought here is, well, maybe this kind of opens up the floodgates there as well. And for a lot of chatter about so-called silent commitments or obviously high profile visitors who seem to have liked what they've seen from UGA. A lot of Georgia fans are kind of left to wonder, when does the dam break here and when do we start seeing a whole lot more commits to. The Georgia program, some of those big names that are obviously kind of out there on the horizon for all of that. So what do you say we keep that conversation going with Connor Raleigh here? We'll wrap up around the doghouse. We'll get ready for him on that. After all, while I was on vacation, you had two big bookend weekends of big-time five-star visitors, big-time high four-star visitors, and a lot of potential commitments on the horizon there, and maybe some tough choices in terms of you know, who gets in and who does Georgia actually win with and which of these you know various highly rated players at certain positions do you, do you value more than others? Does UGA value more than others? What do you say we do that on the heels of good news yesterday from Joshua Miller with what's next for Georgia recruiting? Let's do that and a whole lot more with Connor Riley. Kroger Fresh Take right now here on Dog Nation Daily today. and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dog nation.com insider say hello connor riley here glad to be talking to him here again live our first time to do that in more than a week uh, obviously we were pre-recorded for vacation last week but Connor going to be good enough to join us here today and you know Connor, like the rest of the dog nation team they were all over the stories of the last seven days which included the arch manning and others visiting to kick off the month of june this past weekend saw janelle aguero and another high profile list of guys coming in so it seems like a pretty good spot right now to sort of take a little bit of a snapshot of where things are where things stand so connor let me get let you give me a couple of sentences here off the top and then we'll kind of you know take it there what is your overall snapshot of how the month of june has gone for uga thus far
2: yeah, I think you like you have to like what you've seen so far in terms of the caliber of players they've had come visit. And then I actually think the visit themselves, I mean, granted, obviously, we all view social media through a Georgia lens. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps tremendously to see these all-white uniforms that I would point out are literally never going to be worn in a game as much as, you know, the helmets are a different thing. I actually think the all-white getup would look pretty cool, mm-hmm. at least in the pants and the uh, and the jersey there, but and I wrote about this last week, there's something to be said about the mystique of a Georgia visit and sort of all that comes along with that, and I think Kirby Smart, you know, again, you always have to sort of be reinventing, reinventing yourself when it comes to this sort of stuff. And I think the fact that Kirby Smart has found a way to do this on the recruiting trail has made it seem like these Georgia visits maybe stand out a little bit more than what you see from some of these other visits going around in the country out there. Yeah,
0: I talked about this a little bit yesterday. To me, we've all, those of us who are Georgia fans, have seen Georgia win so many recruiting battles now that there are other things that are sort of more interesting than Georgia just getting another good recruit, something they do quite frequently. And I don't you know take that for granted, but it is something we've seen Georgia do a lot. To me, what's almost more interesting now is the way in which Georgia recruits. And I do like the idea that Georgia really does seem to be recruiting from a position of strength. You know, when you're able to bring a Jordan Davis back on campus and have to have him there and, you know, obviously – pitch to Jamal Jarrett you come here become the next Jordan Davis but actually have you know Davis the newly minted first round pick of the Philadelphia Eagles on campus while you're doing all of that I think that's really cool you know a guy like Bill Goldberg probably speaks more to my generation maybe some other generations but the fact that Georgia's got him sending recruiting messages is is really cool you know in previous times been guys like Migos obviously that speaks to a little bit younger generation than me but whatever it is Georgia just seems to check a lot of cultural boxes it really is a very big macro program and, you know, I think George would never say this to recruit, but the message here is we don't need you, but we do want you. And I think that's a pretty attractive thing for a recruit to say, hey, if I think of myself as the biggest, if I think of myself as the best, then this program that cl- cl- clearly projects the confidence of a biggest and best type program, it just becomes a obvious and irresistible choice for a lot of these players, I believe. Hey, Dog Nation Daily listeners, wanted to break in here for a moment. We had a little bit of an audio issue with a portion of Connor's interview today. And if you want to hear that, you can check out the show on any of the video platforms such as YouTube. But I did not quite think it was uh, podcast-level quality, so I'm not including that in our broadcast today. So for the moment, because of an echo that we had on Connor's end, we're going to skip ahead. But I hope you enjoy the rest of the program. And of course, as always, thank you for listening. All right, sounds like we're still dealing with that Echo situation a little bit. Let me just do this really quickly. Remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with uh, Connor Riley here today. And obviously, Kroger's got a really cool thing coming up for you. Uh, obviously, the big race weekend's coming up here uh, really soon. There's a great sweepstakes brought to you by our friends at Kroger, where 10 first prize winners are going to receive two cup tickets to the race for Atlanta coming up on July 10th. You can enter now for your chance to win on all this. Go to racingprizes.com slash Atlanta for more details. That's racingprizes.com com slash Atlanta for more details. And you can be potentially a big winner for the great race coming up here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. That's going to be a lot of fun coming up there on July 10th. Connor, I, I don't want to um, belabor this if we're having the issue, but let me just get one more quick thought from you before we let you go, because I want to highlight this piece that you wrote. You had a great one at dognation.com while I was on vacation looking at the fact that Georgia kind of chose to stand pat regarding the transfer portal, something that last year did not do. And certainly this year puts it in direct contrast to so many other teams around the country that obviously have taken a ton of uh, transfer players. Before we let you go, uh, just kind of give us a little bit of a snapshot of what you wrote, because I thought that piece deserved to be highlighted, because I think it does kind of set up a situation right now where Georgia is just very different than a lot of the teams around college football.
2: All right, well, I'm pretty sure I figured out what the audio issue was. So well, there you go. It sounds better there. Naturally, uh, at the end of the show, it's when it happens. Uh, well, yeah, I'll keep so, you lo- – listen,
0: I'll keep like, – if we got the audio figured out, I'll keep you longer. But uh, go ahead, uh, please.
2: Uh, yeah, so – and I don't know why I went Canadian there for a second. But, you know, you look at Alabama, I and mean, I think one of the sneaky interesting things from their sort of off season is – You know, they they go out and they add Jermaine Burton. They add the wide receiver from Louisville. They add a couple of different transfers there. And it's interesting that a program that is recruited as well as Alabama has is still plugging those holes. And, you know, transfers are not a zero-sum game. If you're bringing somebody in, that likely means that you're pushing somebody else down the depth chart, a guy that you recruited and wanted to develop there. So it's interesting to me that Georgia, unlike an Ohio State, unlike even a Clemson this year, Went out and brought in somebody else, or and, and didn't bring anyone else, and they are rolling with the guys that they brought and the guys that they had in terms of recruiting, in terms of developing, and you know, part of it is I, I do think it falls into the into the way the transfer portal sort of shook out this year, and there just wasn't an obvious superstar safety out there that was able to come in and could have helped this team. Maybe there isn't the right wide receiver that they were looking for. Whereas, you know, for example, last year, Darian Kendrick checked every box for what Georgia needed and what Georgia wanted there. And so I think because of that, you do have, you know, the the examples that Kirby Smart has laid out in the past of, Yeah, that's why we don't like to necessarily rely on the transfer portal, because the guys that you might need aren't always going to be in there. And so you're going to have to develop year over year. And so I do think that shows a little bit why Georgia is going away about the way that they are about the transfer portal, where if there's a no doubt about a guy that we think can help us. We'll go get him. But more often than not, we're going to want to rely on high school recruits and and those type of players. You know, I think Ole Miss brought in something like 17 different transfers this offseason, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that all sort of works out and how that team sort of gels because, quite frankly, with the way – you know, we've never seen a team be that transfer heavy before, whereas college football has shown us time and time again if you're able to recruit – you're able to do well at that level, it's going to end up paying off in the long run for you. Yeah, listen,
0: to me, there's two things going on here. Like, Ole Miss is taking all those transfers because they can't recruit well coming out of high school. Lane Kiffin, is not a very good recruiter. Ole Miss doesn't have quite as much to sell. They are going to have to be relying on the transfer portal because they can't recruit out of high school. However, I think you would agree with me on this, Connor. No program would choose uh, unless you're like a group of five or I guess an FCS I think you probably would choose transfers but for SEC level programs they'd obviously much rather win high school recruiting battles than transfer portal recruiting battles because you just have more long-range gain from that you have a chance to keep player two or three years where in the case of most transfers it's going to be a one-year proposition that's not a very efficient way to run your program when you're constantly battling for players you can only keep for a year but here's the other thing and this to me is the most important there is no free lunch when it comes to transfers on the one hand bringing bring in a guy like darian kendrick is obviously great for Georgia a year ago but if you have a guy, if you have a lot of guys like that who have not played with each other before, how they play together is still going to be a, a bit of a mystery. If they've all come from different cultures, they all come from different teams, different parts of the world, it is not a guarantee they are going to gel the way that you need a team to gel. This is still not fantasy football. This is still not, hey, just throw eleven talented guys out there and they'll just figure it all out. Sometimes talent actually doesn't figure it out. There is something to be said for how you play together and. When you bring in a lot of transfer players, you may be upping the talent level on your team, and that's always a good thing. But the trade-off to that is you are bringing in a little bit of mystery about how well your guys will click and play together. And by the way, who you make disgruntled, who you make unhappy because you brought in a transfer to kind of park above him on the depth chart, which obviously you know did not work out well for Alabama a year ago. I'll give you the final word.
2: Right. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. If Darian Kendrick doesn't come in last year, there's a good chance maybe Jalen Kimber is still with this program and playing. And and Jalen Kimber is obviously a player that is still very well thought of. He's at Florida and is probably going to end up starting for them this year. And obviously he had a shoulder injury that I think slowed him down last season. But, you know, Kendrick is a one-year stopgap. And granted, all SEC player, MVP, defensive MVP, the Orange Bowl, a great player. But i i think more often than not you'd rather take a guy as you point out that you can have for two or three seasons guys that you can develop over that spirit that period of time whereas you know if you're just taking all these one-year guys tyke smith is another perfect example of this where you know things don't work out for him last year he has a foot injury and then he tears his acl And if you're counting on him to be a big-time contributor and you're disgruntling some of your other transfer players, it's going to make things tough to consistently build a winner year in, year out, because eventually the transfer portal is just going to run dry and they're not going to have the players that you need in there. So I think in rare circumstances you're going to see a Georgia go for it if there's sort of a perfect fit. And, And, you know, even as we get more and more into the transfer portal, you know, Kirby Smart doesn't want to take a group of five players. He, 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 while that has worked out for some people, the FCS group of five players, that hasn't really worked out for Kirby Smart and what he sort of wants from there. I know J.R. Reed is a great counterexample to that, but more often than not, they're taking power five guys. And, and and even from there, I think there's another level that you might want to see them get to of taking guys from power programs like, say, Clemson, like, say, in Ohio State, a, a Michigan, theoretically, of guys that compete – at those sorts of levels that are at championship caliber programs already. And for whatever reasons, things don't work out at the prior programs, but Georgia has the infrastructure in place to get the most out of those players this year. Connor,
0: good stuff. Thanks so much for being with us here today. We'll look forward to reading a lot more from you at dognation.com and chat with you in the program again very soon there as well.
2: Yep, one thing before I go, I want to give a special shout-out to Caitlin and Caitlin and Fletcher Page. Caitlin gave birth to a baby girl oh, wow. yesterday. Congratulations to them, two great friends and uh, Georgia alums. So congratulations to Fletcher and
0: Caitlin. Great news. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through.
0: All right, uh, good stuff there with uh, Connor Riley. Started with the echo situation a little bit earlier, uh, but always happy to have Connor on the show. And you really should check out all the stuff he's writing there at dognation.com, including uh, I a very interesting look last week at uh, a scenario that makes Georgia different than the rest of uh, college football right now. The fact that Georgia is probably less reliant on the transfer portal than almost anyone uh, right now. We'll kind of find out if that is a good thing as you head towards the upcoming season also as we head towards the rest of the summer we are cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean it is about 100 degrees where i am sitting right now in the atlanta area thankfully not in the studio (laughs) quick aside here so we keep this studio very very cold and in the winter time when people walk in here they're just like shocked like it's shockingly cold it is like a refrigerator cold in here but I didn't ever mess with it during the, during the wintertime because I knew if we got it turned up, there's a chance we might never get it turned back down again. So I endured like just frosty conditions all winter long because when it got to the summertime, I wanted to be nice and comfortable I'm wearing a T-shirt today. But the point is, uh, we try to keep the uh, studio here pretty cool. But it's still hot on the outside, right? You can step outside the studio. It's 100 degrees today, which means the thing that would actually feel really good right now is the kind of coastal breeze that you'd get if you were sailing on the Caribbean right now, if you're heading to the Bahamas, if you're heading down to St. Thomas or somewhere like that in the Virgin Islands. That'd be a great thing to be able to do right now, and really no better way to get there, no better way to enjoy that than with our friends at Royal Caribbean. We're going to go cruising on the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. It's a chance for me to remind you how great it would be right now to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship enjoying everything that comes your way because of all of that, whether you're talking about sailing one of those three or four-night sailings, we're talking about the yesterday, Independence of the Seas, Mariner of the Seas, or maybe you want one of those seven-night sailings, I got an Oasis-class ship, Wonder of the Seas, which right now is the largest cruise ship in the world. Wonder of the Seas is about to be in Port Canaveral, sailing on seven-night sailings as you head towards uh, 2023. That's a really fun thing to be able to do, or really whatever ship you have a chance to be on, uh, a great chance to enjoy a great Royal Caribbean cruise. Cruise Vacation. In fact, I hope you'll do that with our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. Use them as a resource to try to decide which Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation is the best for you. You can check out their website, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. And they'll get you going on all of that today. So let's do a little SEC through time here and go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Congratulations to the SEC, which has what? current members four of the eight teams in the college world series texas oklahoma also in the uh on their way to omaha there as well which gives future sec teams six of the eight teams in the college world series so uh this is amazing what makes it even more amazing is the overall number one seed tennessee not among The college world series participants from the sec and the two teams that played for the title last year in the finale series vanderbilt mississippi state they're not there either it just goes to show you the depth parity that exists in the sec but obviously nobody playing at a higher level than all of this and i think it also kind of reminds you there as well that while the you know college baseball i think is a really fun sport it's a sport that's grown in popularity but it's still not quite moving the needle the way that, like, say, obviously football does or even maybe men's basketball for the most part, because there's still no event that matches, you know, what the NCAA men's basketball tournament has been. But when you see the level of success, you know, like Oregon State was like number two all year long. You know, Tennessee been number one. Oregon State been number two. But Oregon State, dispatched by Auburn, you just sort of see how little, you know, non-SEC heft there is to the sport right now i mean if there is ever a time which the sec decides you know we really are going to take our ball and go home we really are going to go create our own athletic entity we're going to run college sports as a parallel to whatever exists away from us in most of these sports uh that would actually work out uh just fine because if all you have is the sec in college baseball you're going to come pretty close to deciding a pretty good national champion there on all of that so maybe one of these days they will pull out and kind of be there on their own feathers so there's interesting story i guess on three had this first that texas a&m had wanted to reach out to the sec as a way of hoping that the league would punish nick saban for what he said about a&m and buying It's a recruiting class. You remember, uh, obviously, a few weeks ago, Saban said that in kind of a booster club meeting situation, set up a huge war of words between both Saban and Fisher. And what uh, A&M wanted was a little punishment for Nick Saban, which was never going to happen. And the truth is, had there been any kind of like serious punishment, it obviously probably would have gone the way of both Saban and Fisher because they both essentially made the same kind of haymaker style accusations. But I think the dynamic behind the scenes here on this is uh, pretty interesting in that, you know, Jimbo Fisher who was once a protégé of Nick Saban was his offensive coordinator when Saban won his first national championship at LSU in 2003. Boy, I think that that Fisher is really taking steps right now to signal that he is his own man. And they're not looking to cooperate with each other. They're looking to compete against each other for the best players and eventually competing on the field there as well. Obviously, A&M won in upset fashion a year ago, but this year they're hoping to get a chance to play Alabama, win that game and have it actually mean something and be more than just A trivial upset so you know this is fisher trying to step out here trying to be his own man seeking punishment for nick saban i mean the one thing that i think i'll continue to take away from the the war of words between these two that dominated the you know early stages of this summer is just how unorthodox it all was The fact that you even would even ask for Saban to be suspended, I think, speaks to just how weird that it was that he went so rogue during a booster club meeting and Jimbo firing back at him the way that he did. This really is not the way that business is normally done. And I don't know. I mean, I think it does lead to a scenario when these two teams finally play each other, uh, when these two coaches finally meet face to face there. I mean, you know, how much palpable bad blood will there be? Obviously, what we've seen them go through is unlike what we normally see when these coaches get together. It's certainly unlike anything the SEC's put forth for most of the last couple of decades, at least. And behind the scenes, they were fighting even more. Oh, uh, come to find out. So uh, pretty interesting stuff there on that. And then speaking of fighting, Nicole Auerbach, who uh, covers college football for The Athletic, had an interesting note on uh, Twitter. And honestly, I'm not a lawyer. I don't really know what half this stuff even means. But what she writes in her story is that the SEC, not the Securities and Exchange Commission, but the actual Southeastern Conference, filed a brief to support the NCAA in its ongoing attempt to prevent the recognition of college athletes as employees. The quote here is the participation should be categorized as an extracurricular activity uh the sec says and not as an employer employee relationship so the only i think takeaway that matters in all of this is is simply this point right here there have been some who've wondered like Pete thamel for instance at um at espn had this piece the other day that given the fact that the sec has got such a financial advantage over most of its competitors other than the big ten but the big ten the sec kind of the same category over this is that according to him and the belief of, I guess, some others there as well, is that maybe they should embrace the idea of players as employees using some of that financial advantage they have to pay the players in their league and essentially rendering their competition unable to to, to, to keep up there at all. Well, this, according to what you're reading here from uh, Nicole, would suggest that's not what the SEC is interested in doing at all. That the SEC is going to fight against the idea in the future of players being categorized as an employee. Now, my question on this, and this is where I think it'll be interesting to see where this goes in the future, is like who's actually fighting for this among the players, among the rank and file a part of this sport? Like, where is where is the demand to be a part of a union? Where is the demand to be, you know, categorized? as an employee. This seems to be a thing that a lot of non players seem to want, but there doesn't seem to be much evidence whatsoever that actually large number of players want this there at all. That a lot of the chatter about, oh, you gotta unionize, you gotta you gotta make these guys employees, a lot of this seems to be a solution in search of a problem. That the one thing we keep saying in light of NIL and in light of transfer portal and in light of you know future status and you know fighting over the idea of being an employee that for the most part, the average college football player thinks he's already getting a pretty good deal. The average college football player is actually far happier with the so called amateur system that, you know, snarky media types call sh- shamaturism. That the actual college athlete going through this system for the most part is a lot happier with the system than then sometimes you're led to believe. And the future prospective college football players who are paying out of their own pocket hundreds if not thousands of dollars for private training just to be a part of this system, uh, they're actually a lot happier with this than sometimes we're led to believe there as well, that the actual stakeholders in college athletics are almost never heard from. You know, we hear activist voices all the time that want to bring huge change to college athletics, but the people actually going through the system, we don't ever quite hear from them quite as much. That is the dog that is not barking in all of this. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And yesterday on the show, we talked about how big Georgia football feels right now, that it kind of feels the way in which we've all kind of seemingly gravitated back towards the movie theater to watch top gun we're all kind of a part of the same thing again and me traveling around over the course of the last week seeing georgia gear everywhere the georgia football just feels really big right now that that georgia's kind of using that bigness that if that's even a word that 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 half that size to its advantage when it comes to recruiting we said that georgia kind of actually feels a little bit like you know kind of a top gun type summer blockbuster type thing here at the moment and that got some of you thinking and we'll give some golden shoes out here obviously when you mention top gun we start seeing a lot of examples of a kirby smart as a maverick pete mitchell here including our buddy mad dog who says george is a school where the best can uh the best can train to refine their elite football skills and you get uh, Kirby Smart there in the fighter jet with Sikkim there on the side. That's really cool to see. Our buddy Bass and Dog gave you something similar. The quote here from the movie, Your instructor is one of the finest this program has ever produced. His exploits and recruiting are legendary. What he has to teach you, you may very well mean a national championship. His call sign, he says, Daddy. <laughs> That's really good from our buddy Bassendog. And and very funny seeing Kirby there. In the uh, flight suit with the national championship logo and a couple of uh, well earned golden shoes, going out there to our buddy Bassin and our buddy Mad Dog. Also, Gator Hater Updater: Long national title drought for the lousy stinking Gators about four thousand nine hundred five days for them. And our Gator Hater Countdown: Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on the Gators once again. One hundred thirty seven days from right now. Y'all have a great day. We will see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. We'll take some of your comments here, of course, whether you send them at Twitter, Dog Nation Daily, or online, the comment section there at dognation.com. Scott Bolin writes in on Twitter, we talked yesterday about the, uh, you know, just the, the way in which the Georgia brand just seems to be so big right now and the heels of the national championship. When you travel around, you can't help but notice that. Scott Bolin says, Uh, he was also on vacation listening to dog nation daily while he jogged on the beach he said uh, yesterday's show open just nailed it wearing that power g's just a little bit more special this summer go dogs go dog nation daily scott i really appreciate that that's super nice of you to say first of all and i'm uh, happy to hear that you're having a similar experience to what i had which was man georgia fans just everywhere and everybody wants to kind of give you that little smile that little wave because right now dog fans and incredibly happy so scott i'm glad you're enjoying all of that i was also on the radio a little earlier with my friends at 92.9 the game and the subject came up of the five most important players for georgia this upcoming season and you know i kind of gave similar names what i gave on the show last week we talked about you know those players we thought for georgia that, you know, had a chance to be best their position. And I think one of the names that I, you know, kind of gave in that discussion that, you know, a regular sports radio interview where you're talking Falcons and Braves and Hawks and everything else is a little bit different than the kind of conversation we have here specifically on dog nation daily, where the conversation always centers in and around Georgia football in that, you know, sometimes you're thinking about quarterbacks, wide receivers, things like that. Of course, in a show like this, we're probably thinking a little bit more deeply about every position. And one of the things I told them was say, hey, listen, You know, for your audience who may be casual fans who may not be watching this kind of stuff closely, you know, think about the importance of having a guy like Cedric Von Prong Granger as a guy who I think can be one of the very best centers in the entire country, a guy who's clearly spoken up as a leader for the offensive line. You know, think about a guy like that as among your most important players for the Georgia offense, what it can be, the way in which you make a, um, you know, an offense like this click. You know, having a very good center is a very good part of that, very big, important part of that. Typically speaking, great offenses typically have very good centers. And Georgia having one in the case of Cedric Von Prahn is also something pretty important to keep in mind. The other question that came up there was what is it that we know about Georgia right now? Obviously, in an offseason conversation, sometimes you feel like, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns out there. In the case of Georgia, there are probably a, a few of those. And like the one thing that I said was, I think your biggest known commodity related to UG at the moment is the fact that you've got Jalen Carter who, you know, barring some sort of horrible injury situation, is likely to be the very best defensive lineman in the country, which is going to give Georgia a shot at once again being the very best defensive line collectively speaking as a position group. It's not the same thing as it was last year when you had those three first round talents there, in the case of Jalen Walker and Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis, but for once again casual fans or maybe expecting or hoping for a big drop off from george there at that position group they ultimately may be pretty disappointed when they find out what the actual results are on the field obviously Jalen carter leading the way there in that regard so those are my thoughts on that always appreciate your feedback as part of our podcast cool down in fact we'll invite you to send in your thoughts at dognation.com when we post this show or Hit me up on Twitter anytime, HMU as they like to say, at Dog Nation Daily. Thanks to our friends at R.S. Andrews for making all this possible. Of course, the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised, the price that's promised, and they'll show back up with us again tomorrow for the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down at the conclusion of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to seeing you then.